Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What's back, my listeners? You are, because this is Behind the Bastards, the podcast where we uh, we talk about the worst people in history, and I make increasingly stretched and uh, uh, terrible introductions, because uh, I just, I, I, I'm losing it. I'm losing my... Uh, everything here but uh you know who's not losing his uh his 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 perspicacity is eli olsberg our guest today comedian writer and host of the closure and pod is a woman podcasts eli are you ready to learn some more about kim jong-un i am and you're right i have it together but i'm hanging on by a thread just so the audience knows yeah i i threw out the threads long ago and uh let's just let's just let's just get into this hell yeah in March 2010, a South Korean Navy vessel named the Cheonen sunk just a few miles south of North Korea's nautical border. 46 of the 104 South Korean seamen on board were killed, or possibly abducted, because the Cheonen is believed by virtually everyone to have been sunk from a torpedo by North Korean midget submarines, possibly on the express orders of Kim Jong-un, who was at that point still just a leader in waiting. For what it's worth, the North Korean government claims the sinking was fabricated by pro-U.S. conservative administration seeking to incite a standoff between the two Koreas. Now, it's hard to say exactly why North Korea would want the Cheonin sunk. In subsequent years, Kim Jong-un has continued to deny any role in the attack and repeatedly refused to apologize for it. So it may be as simple as the fact that attacking the Cheonin gave him something to rattle his saber about, an issue to loudly deny complicity in while also gaining respect and loyalty from the Navy for letting them sink their teeth into the hated enemy. Whatever the truth, if the sinking of the Cheonin was masterminded by Kim Jong-un, or at least a plan he approved of, it wound up being a very successful gamble. 
South Korea moderated its response to the attack, and the North faced very little in the way of consequences for the deaths of those men. People have trouble understanding why dictatorships like North Korea would take a risk like this, what they would have to gain from kicking a hornet's nest. It's the same question people ask when they see reports that the Assad regime has gassed its own people. Why would they risk international sanctions from using WMDs? Doesn't it make more sense for them to toe the line and not antagonize the U.S. and its allies? Well, the reality is that often it does make sense to antagonize the U.S. and its allies, that often the gambles pay off. Uh, One could make the same point about Hitler's quest to annex Czechoslovakia. Many of his generals, in fact, did, pointing out that if it came to war, the Czech defenses would decimate the still-rebuilding German Wehrmacht, leaving them easy prey for the French and the British. It seemed as if Hitler had nothing to gain from pressing for the conquest of Czechoslovakia. But Hitler, like all dictators, was a gambling man. So is Kim Jong-un, so is Bashar al-Assad, so are all dictators who wind up hanging on to power. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the gambles of dictators don't always work. Saddam Hussein gambled when he started kicking UN weapons inspectors out of his country. He could have just let them do their work and maybe managed to hang on to power. Mm-hmm. But he gambled that he could stick a thumb in the eye of his enemy and their desire to avoid war would overwhelm their desire to punish him. Now Saddam was wrong, and it's also probable that nothing would have stopped George W. Bush from invading Iraq. But Kim Jong-un has so far been remarkably successful as a gambler. Uh, he bet correctly on the Cheonan, and he would bet correctly many, many more times in the years to come. It's uh, always interesting to me which of these guys, like, because Gaddafi was another gambler. Like, right, when he, yeah. when the yeah, civil war started against him and he started claiming that he was going to wipe out the city of Benghazi and kill all 600,000 people inside it, just bomb it to the ground with his air force. That gamble backfired. He got called yeah. on it and he wound up killed in the streets. Um, yeah, but, I, I, I yeah. think about that often too where it is like... Uh, uh, and also going back to the previous episode, we were talking about like when when it came up about his, you know, uh, Kim's frame of reference. Uh, you know, yeah. this is a kid from early on who was critical of people and who was very, uh, you know, very like in charge from the get go. Supposedly, how much of that is propaganda yeah. versus how much of that is true is another story. But when you have those frame of references. Um, you're gonna double down until you you meet your match or you you lose, and then at that point, I think it really becomes like a, a an addi- almost like a like gambling addicts where even if you lose this round, it's trying to win the next one to undo the losing, and then you know what I mean? Like it's it's, it's yeah, it's momentum it, one way or another, and it's the thing that Kim Jong Un will have as soon as he comes to power that Qaddafi and Saddam didn't have, for example, that I think is a big reason why all of Kim Jong-un's gambles have worked out a lot better than those other dictators' gambles did, is he has nukes. Right. And you have, that's like that's like always having like a pair of aces in your hand <laughs> every time. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit of extra assurance that your gambles, no one's going to call your bluff because you got those nukes. Yeah. Um... So, yeah, Uh, as Kim Jong-il grew sicker and sicker uh, from the consequences of being a 64-year-old man with a $2 million a year Hennessy cognac habit, he carefully prepared the stage for his son. They increasingly showed up at public events together, as he'd done with his father in the 80s. North Korean propaganda mills began to spread stories of the young Jong-un's close relationship with his grandfather, even though the two had probably never met. One famous parable is that Kim Il-sung once asked Kim Jong-un for an apple, so Kim Jong-un asked for a shovel so he could dig up an 
apple tree and present it to his grandfather. The message was that the North Korean people should be prepared to go the extra new mile for their new leader, just as he'd gone the extra mile for Kim Il-sung. Very subtle messaging here. Yeah, now, To say the least. <laughs> yeah. Kim Jong-un's propaganda charm offensive uh, had begun with the military, but it quickly expanded to the rest of society. According to the great successor, quote, At their compulsory weekly education sessions, people around the country were having messages drilled into them about the incredible feats of this young genius. They heard the one about firing a gun when he was three years old, and the ones about riding horses and driving cars at an age when most kids are just learning their ABCs. It was hard for people to believe these things. We just laughed at them. It may have worked for kids, for, but not for adults, Mr. Kang, the drug dealer, told me. But if you questioned it, you'd be killed. Some of his efforts to sell the new leader pushed the boundaries of credulity, even in this totalitarian state. One officially sanctioned biography called The Childhood of the Beloved and Respected Leader, Kim Jong-un, claimed that he had perfect pitch, that he could ride the wildest horses at age six, and that when he was just nine, he was, had twice beaten a visiting European powerboat racing champion. The youngster had driven at speeds of 125 miles an hour, it said. It was so unbelievable that the textbook was recalled after whispered criticisms began circulating that it distorted and exaggerated the leader's early years. It was revised to make it more credible. Wow, that's like uh, that's like a playing a game of telephone and yeah. then starting the game all over again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really interesting. It, but it's interesting that they that they'll revise it. Um, yeah, which is it's going to come up later. This guy's going to be a little bit less actually dishonest to the people of North Korea than his the private previous leaders have been. Um, a little bit, teeny <laughs> teeny bit. It's not a high bar. So uh, I do think it's worth talking about. Um, right now sort of how many of these crazy claims uh, are believed within North Korea um, because these are the stories that most commonly make it out to the world media about the Kims is all right. these crazy tales about like you know how the the like the you know the lies that are, are supposedly believed in North Korea about the Kims uh, and I found an article on a website called North Korea News that was written by a former citizen of the DPRK who fled home uh, and included interviews with several other like refugees from North Korea. And this writer claims, quote, it is not wrong to say they believed the propaganda 100% before the death of Kim Il-sung, but the years of famine convinced many North Koreans that their government could not be trusted any more than, you know, uh, most people trust governments. The article concluded, 20% of people believe what the government says, 40% aren't quite sure what to believe, and 40% don't believe anything at all. So that's one dissident's opinion on how many people buy the government line on things. Um, wow. Which it makes sense, you know, if you've got 20% who believe everything you say and back you to the hilt, and 40% who aren't willing to take a stance one way or the other, then that 40% who realize that they're being lied to aren't going to be able to make anything happen. Yeah, they're already they're already in the minority. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow. Now, I would also be remiss if I talked about North Korea's propaganda and I didn't point out that the bullshit spigot spews both ways. The closed nature of North Korean society has made it easier for the government to lie to its people, but it's also made it e easier for others to lie about North Korea, since few people can come forward to counter any falsehoods. I found one anecdote on a Christian missionary news site called DoTheWord.org that I found deeply interesting. Now, this is from an article written by a missionary who lived in South Korea with his wife, and he's recalling a conversation he had with another missionary. Quote, 
Miss Foley and I were in Korea talking to a man doing North Korea human rights work who shared with us the report of a tragic execution in North Korea. A North Korean woman who had been assisting a healthcare project of an international NGO inside North Korea. She was accused of being a spy and after a rather summary investigation, executed. But here was the tragedy that compounded that tragedy. The man said to us, Americans want to hear stories about Bibles and people being killed for having Bibles. I'm going to tell the American media that she was killed for distributing Bibles. And so he did. And so that's what American media reported. The story was everywhere. It was completely untrue, a total fabrication. The man who spoke to us wasn't even a Christian, but in his mind, he had accomplished his purpose, punish North Korea with bad press, even if the press was inaccurate. His logic was this. If there was no Bible, there would have been no news interest. If there had been no news interest, the North Korea would have gotten away with the killing of yet another innocent uh, without any recrimination at all. As it was, the outcry led to an outpouring of donations to Christian in NGOs doing North Korea work. That's really interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny. I can't even like, re- like re- hearing that. I, I'm I'm kind of almost at a loss for words for it because it's so fascinating. Like it's just almost like a thing where you're like, this is. What else can you do with it? Do you know what I mean? Like I'm already kind of a little dumbfounded. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, totally. And it's it's so like it's if you're if you're an activist who hates the North Korean government, which is a, a, a totally reasonable thing to hate, um, and you, you you see it pass on to its third generation of ruler and realize that like this shit's not dying out um, at all at all yeah so I I I can't even blame a guy in that position for di- telling whatever lie he thinks will hurt the regime, even though it just makes it harder for other people to like try and figure out what's actually going on over there. I, I can you know, feel the frustration. Yeah. And, and I, and I, it, it just to kind of like almost draw a parallel. It's like that. There's a lot of arguments happening here now in regards to how Democrats approach things and how, how liberal and leftists approach things in regards to like, well, you have to be above that. And some people are like, no, you have to be as fucking dirty as the other side yeah. is in order to get it done. And that kind of seems like it's obviously in a much more it's morphed a little differently there. But that's kind of the same thing where you're like, well, by any means necessary and at whatever cost. And other people are like, well, no, you still have a, a kind of sense of duty and ethics to this whole thing. And I don't. Yeah, I and I, I don't I, I almost want to say the truth lies somewhere in the middle. But at the same time, to say that means that, well, yeah, you're kind of acknowledging it does have to be you have to play dirty. And, I, I you know, I don't know what the answer would be there. Yeah. And I, I think the the frustrating thing is that the the only real answer can be the truth is uh, whatever works. So if yeah. uh, whatever succeeds, whatever is shown to have succeeded in the long run. Uh, that's that's the truth. Um, yeah. and so it's kind of hard to say, like right now, is that guy right to have lied or not? Well, it it looks like he was wrong to have lied because it didn't help. Sure. Um, but maybe like yeah, I, I don't know. Like it's. Uh, but what if it worked? You know, yeah. that goes the other way where you, that that creates like eight thousand arguments because like yeah. well it worked, but at what cost? And then some people are like, well, that's what you had to do. What he had to do. So I, you know, I, it feels like it's ultimately like it can really be a lose lose situation, something like that. Yeah, yeah, it is. Like it's uh, it's so messy. Um, yeah, it's 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 really fucked up. 
Um, so, uh, back to Kim Jong-un and his ailing father. Um, as, uh, Kim Jong-il got sicker and sicker, and, uh, it began to become clear that death was imminent for him, several actions were taken by the North Korean government to very quickly prepare the way for Kim Jong-il's heir. Uh, he started following his father on public inspections of military units. His birth home was made a historical site. Uh, he was made to assume leadership roles in the military, in the Communist Party, and in the, uh, security... Uh, divisions, and uh, he was made a four-star general in 2010. So he's 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 very quickly pushed up the ladder, much faster than his father had been. Because again, his father's got like 20 years as the heir apparent, and he's really only got like three or so. Um, on December 17th, 2011, Kim Jong-il suffered a catastrophic heart attack on his private train, probably driving around to tell farmers how to farm better. <laughs> his death was officially announced two days later. Kim Jong-un, for the first time, was addressed as the great successor to the revolutionary cause. Now, 2011 was a more optimistic time in the rest of the world. The Arab Spring was still fresh, and it looked as if a surge of democracy and freedom was in the process of overtaking numerous dictatorships. Most international experts placed very little faith in Jong-un's ability to hold power and maintain the rule of the Kims. Victor Cha, who negotiated with North Korea for the George W. Bush administration, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times where he joyously predicted the regime's collapse. The article was titled, Will North Korea Become China's Newest Province? From the article, I love, by the yeah. way, that he still calls it uh, when when he became the successor that the you know of, of the revolution. What revo- yeah. th- didn't the re- what revolution? I, I, it's what, always going on, man. It's right. always a revolution in North Korea, baby. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's still that same thing where it's like it's like that using the the saying the democratic people, you know, of the of the people and for the people. Yeah, it's you always want to associate yourself with something. That's as lively and exciting as a revolution, because just being nobody, nobody's excited by being part of a government that just functions. <laughs> like, like what? Well, you want to, you want to, you want to, you want to just be caretaker over in fucking uh, uh, Norway, where the the state pretty much works and things yeah. go about fine. No, it's boring as hell. No, That's yeah. why nobody watches. Who wants yeah. that? No, nobody nobody pays attention to Norway. Everybody pays attention to America because we're a train wreck twenty four seven. Like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what people want to see. Uh, yeah, tr- it, it yeah, truly feels like at the moment it's like a disaster where like everybody just got in a huge car crash and then they're exchanging insurance information and like a semi truck just comes along and plows through that. Yeah, and that that semi truck is driven by a seven year old Kim Jong Un right. on a on a box. Yeah. <laughs> now and, and, the, uh, and the back cabs on fire. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, forever on fire. So, yeah, this uh as soon as Kim Jong Un comes to power, um like all these experts and pundits uh start saying that like th- the regime's about to fall. It was unprecedented that Kim Il Sung passed on power to his kid. There's no way it's going to happen for three generations. Right. Um Victor Cha wrote, "Mr. Kim's death could not have come at a worse time for North Korea. Economically broken, starving and politically isolated, this dark kingdom was in the midst of preparations to hand power over to his not yet 30-year-old son, the untested Kim Jong Un. The great successor, as he's been dubbed by the state media, is surrounded by elders who are no less sick than his father and a military that chafed his promotion to four-star general last year without having served a day in the army. Such a system simply cannot hold. Now, as a general rule, when you have people uh, writing statements like this system simply cannot hold Mm -hmm. about a system that is part of a foreign country that we don't really know all that much about and have great sources inside, 
you can assume they're talking out of their ass a little bit. And Victor Cha definitely was. Because all signs over the last six years of power for Kim Jong-un suggest that he has the potential to be uh, the most, uh, definitely a more successful leader than his father ever was. And potentially even more successful than his grandfather. Yeah. Um, Which doesn't mean he's not a terrible person. He absolutely is. (laughs) Um, But... The initial reactions to him in the world media were to make fun of him as a bumbling, overweight simpleton. Uh, in China, he gained the nickname Kim Fatty the Third, and that nickname spread faster than Chinese censors could remove it from their internet. Uh, reports began to surface in Western media that he'd murdered his girlfriend, who was a singer in the North Korean girl in a North Korean girl band. The tabloids reported she'd been killed after he caught her making lesbian pornography. Like most of the most lurid stories of North Korea, this was complete bullshit. The supposedly murdered woman later showed up just fine, clearly still in favor with the regime, which is essentially the same thing that happened with those negotiators for the nuclear summit. Right, like, right. That's and become a trope. Yeah. That, that's also what I'm fascinated by because look, like like K-pop is having a moment right now more so in in America than it ever has. And I wonder what North Korean pop stars what what that kind of sounds like in comparison to South, you know, like K-pop. Because K-pop is referred to, obviously, as South Korea. Yeah, so, and they've had, there There have been some K-pop acts that have performed in North Korea, altered versions of their songs in the last couple of years as part of sort of the mild rapprochement that's uh, occurred between North and South Korea. Um, oh, so that, okay. That's something, yeah, yeah. Now, when he initially came to power, Kim Jong-un's strategy was to tie himself closely with his grandfather rather than his markedly less popular dad. This has been helped by the fact that Jong-un bears a striking resemblance to the old man, one that might have been enhanced through plastic surgery. Uh, It's also equally possible that this, too, is a lie. The Brookings Institute writes, Just a few months after he became the leader of North Korea, on the 100th anniversary of his grandfather's birth, Kim delivered his first public address. As he invoked his grandfather's legacy in the lengthy 20-minute speech, he also affirmed his father's military first policy, proclaiming that the days are gone forever when our enemies could blackmail us with nuclear bombs. Yet even while endorsing his father's policy, he was making a remarkable departure from his father's practice, for this was the first time that North Koreans had heard their leader's voice in a public speech since Kim Il-sung's days. Kim Jong-il shunned speaking in public during his almost 20 years of rule. In fact, he only said like one sentence in a mass public speech to his people. So right out the gate, Kim Jong-un is a very different leader from his dad. Um, Spends a lot more time in front of the people, does a lot more public speaking, is a lot more hands-on. Seems to be a more functional guy in general. Now, uh, Kim Jong-un would continue to buck North Korean tradition and plow his own path as the supreme ruler of the world's most totalitarian state. On April 13th, 2012, the Korean Committee of Space Technology launched Lodestar 3, a brand new observation satellite. The name was a reference to the holy star that supposedly bloomed in the sky when Kim Jong-il was born. Despite its name, Lodestar 3 only stayed airborne for 90 seconds before crashing into the ocean. Now, given what gets reported about North Korea, you might expect the state propaganda to have denied any failure. Instead, they leaned into it, admitting that Lodestar 3 had failed to enter its preset orbit and announcing that their scientists were looking into the failure. This marked the first time that the North Korean regime openly copped to a mistake of this magnitude. It started to appear as if North Korea's new leader was trying to position himself as a more reasonable, open-minded ruler than his father or grandfather had been. Now, how true any of this is is debatable. Vanity Fair spoke with Bill Richardson, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. and a guy who actually negotiated with North Korean leaders in Pyongyang on several occasions. He generally is seen as having decent connections inside North Korean leadership. 
In 2015, he said, So let me first give you what others in North Korea have told me about him. Number one, he frequently jokes with other officials about not knowing anything, that he is new and young, and that he has no experience. He actually thinks that is funny, so that is one. Number two, he seems to be insecure. However, he hears no one, and he does not like to be briefed about issues. That does not mean he is not street smart or that he is not skillful. Surmising the way he has replaced the people, especially in the military, that he felt were not his people, he has actually done that quite effectively and brought his own people in or people he thinks are more loyal to him. So, wow, yeah, it's like that's one uh, opinion. Yeah, and that's also that sounds like somebody pushing thirty. Like the the you know what I mean? Like anybody? That's the yeah. The, the, you know when I bought that up, I think um, a little earlier I had mentioned like I feel like he because uh, he's so young. Like you know he's gonna be someone who's in uh, hitting thirty. Which by the way, when we were talking about earlier, like how all these things that could have affected him being the product of an affair that his uncle and you know them his um uncle and aunt fleeing and all those things this is when that shit starts getting actualized do you know what i mean like in terms of the yeah. your brain starts processing those things and whatever whatever you're going to be like as a result of that is is coming coming to now yeah and that starts to come out in kim jong un and one of the things we see from him is that he is um capable of forging a new path from his ancestors and also capable of uh, uh, at least presenting a more open appearance. But another thing that he shows of his personality is that he is capable of the same kind of brutality that has kept his family in power oh, for almost yeah. a century. He famously had his uncle, Zhang Song Taik, uh, murdered reportedly for not standing up when Kim Jong-un entered a meeting. One witness later recalled, his uncle kind of sat in his seat and didn't really get up. He was very slow to get up until the last minute, and then he didn't really do the full clapping. On December of 2013, Zhang was fired and arrested on state television. He was not torn apart by ravenous dogs, as reported, but he was executed, probably by firing squad. Kim Jong-un also had General Yong Chol purged in 2016 after he fell asleep in a meeting where Kim Jong-un was speaking. In this case, the execution was as brutal as you'd expect based on the fake news about the Kim family. Uh, General Chol was publicly shot to death with anti-aircraft cannons, (laughs) which essentially would have just, yeah, disintegrated the guy. Yeah, holy shit. That is, uh, oh my God. Look, as someone who, who eats up like a very specific brand of B movie that has that kind of shit to mm. for that to be an actualized not like exaggeration without hyperbole is fucking bonkers. And it it does sound like the execution that you order if you're a kid who's raised on Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to see a little bit of a line there. Yeah, now, totally. If Kim Jong-un was indeed behind the sinking of the Chonin, the years since 2010 seem to have seen him double down on his strategy of launching provocative attacks. <laughs> Many of those have occurred online. North Korea has long had a devoted cadre of hackers uh, attacking South Korean banks and TV stations. But according to Brookings, quote, the state's hacking activities have grown exponentially under Kim Jong-un. South Korea is hit by about 1.5 million North Korean hacking attempts every day. That's 17 every second, according to Southern officials. Pyongyang used cyber attacks to mount asymmetric warfare, the American military commander in South Korea said. At the end of 2014, North Korea provided a stunning illustration of this theory. The first target was Sony Entertainment, revenge for the film The Interview, which ended with a Kim Jong-un character exploding in a fireball to a Katy Perry soundtrack. Hacking is the 
country's strongest weapon, said another former student. In North Korea, it's called the secret war, he added. American intelligence agencies say North Korea has a total of more than 1,000 cyber operatives living and working abroad where there is better access to the Internet. Most are in China, but some are in Russia and Malaysia. They have one purpose. To earn money for Kim Jong-un's regime however they can. Malware, ransomware, spear phishing, sneaking into gambling and gaming sites, as long as they meet their targets. The good ones can make $100,000 a year, 90000 for the regime, 10000 for themselves. And uh, I'm curious, where were you, do you, did you see the interview in theaters when it had that small run? No, you know, I torrented it. Uh, it once it got like released onto the internet, um, I did that whole thing. So I, I remember I saw it at the Los Feliz Three. It was one of the few theaters that got it in L.A. Um, and it was like, so uh, every showing was sold out. And yeah. um, and I remember that very well. It was Christmas Christmas Day. It opened, and um, I went on a whim and managed to get a ticket. And I was like, oh great, okay, I'll 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 watch it. And it was such a it's been a while since something's felt like because I remember it was it there was a thing that you're like, is there going to be a consequence for me seeing a movie today? Um, you know what I mean? Like that you couldn't yeah. help but think that way. Uh, kind of in the same way. Obviously, the stakes were a little different, but I remember thinking, um, you know, I remember after like. 9-11, they were like saying, they're like, go shopping, go to the movies, go live, you know, do the things that bring you pleasure, but like, tr- like you know, double down on them. And I remember the interview, that was a thing that you're like, go see the movie, don't let that strip your freedom almost. There was almost this like mentality towards that. Yeah, and it was not a great movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, <laughs> that, which is the... That's what kind of, yeah, of course, the, that drives the whole thing that you're like, well... yeah. Even even on the level of what those guys were delivering for the movie, you're like, that's oh, fine. Though I will say, uh, if I remember correctly, this was a few months ago. Seth Rogen was on uh, Fresh Air and and had a lot to say about it, and it was a pretty pretty. And I don't want to quote any of it because I'm really my brain's kind of a little not remembering it super well right now. But he was pretty articulated about it and felt like you know had his had pretty okay feelings about the whole thing. Like once it was all said and done. Well, we're going to talk about the interview a little bit more after this, uh, and we're going to talk about Kim Jong-un's nuclear ambitions after this, Um, but I have to bring us into an ad pivot right now because Sophie is not here to call them, and I am very late on calling it this episode because I fall apart without Sophie to run this thing, so... That's a terrible ad segue. Uh, uh, but <laughs> I think that's the best one to date. Uh, just in, admitting my incompetence and throwing to dick pills. I wish, uh, yeah, I wish more podcasters were vulnerable, vulnerable yeah, about well, that. I, I'm bad at my job. Buy dick pills because erections are good. And that's it. That's the ad fucking pivot. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Focus Features presents Back to Black. Oh. 
want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back. Okay. So, we're talking about uh, the interview, which, um, yeah, it's uh, it was an interesting provocation from North Korea, because it's the first time any state did anything like that, because there were threats of violence. I remember they made claims about how, like, if theaters showed it, they would attack, there would be attacks on the theaters mm-hmm. that would be like 9-11 in scale, yeah. which none of that happened. But they did really fuck with Sony's bottom line and throw a lot of their internal emails and stuff onto the internet. And it was kind of a preview of some of what we'd see in the 2016 election with Russia and uh, the DNC leaks and stuff. Yeah, and it, it what I remember about it specifically very well was that, like, it, it is interesting that th- that threat about, like, going to the movies, it c- could have consequence or showing it at a certain theater. And I remember I, it was the first time that I was like, oh, we're actually more worried about, um, like, hacking and those kinds of attacks versus, um, like, a physical threat. Like, that actually outweighed it. I I remember that being somewhat the sentiment. And one of the things that's interesting to me, if we're looking at how Jong-un is different from from Kim Jong-il, is, you know, Kim Jong-il had his own movie that was arguably even more offensive from the perspective of the North Korean state, Team America, uh, where he's, yeah, like, uh, it's interesting that nothing was done about that. And maybe it's just, like, the internet was not as pervasive a thing when that movie came out as it was when the interview dropped. But I think it also might be evidence that, uh, you know, there weren't North Korea didn't have nukes. Well, I I also say in regards to Team America, um, it didn't uh, it didn't going into seeing it. 
didn't ride that same wave of controversy, and mm-hmm. they also um, that that movie isn't single minded in in who it was going after. It had so many people on their on their plate yeah. as as. Uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are known to do, which is that they they go after anybody. You know what I mean? Like to the point that they literally had Isaac Hayes walked away from South Park because they wouldn't even bend. They're like, well, well, you're not the exception here after going after Scientology. So they were throwing in everything and the kitchen sink in terms of who they went after. Uh, And so I think that was their one advantage that they had, even though he is still the kind of the main villain in the whole thing. But I mean, you know, they literally go after everybody in that movie. Even Michael Moore, who at the time had just did um, Fahrenheit 9/11. Yeah, Fahrenheit 9/11. Whereas the interview, I think, came after this period where we were what in Obama's second term. uh, Yeah, he beat he beat he beat Romney effortlessly. Um, and uh, and Kim Jong Un was very new in power too. Right. So there was like this stuff to prove too. Yeah, and 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 not only that, but he he was just the sole focus in a way that we weren't thinking about other people. You know, any other movies that had come out at that point, like Zero Dark Thirty, these were things that were looking back on on victories uh, in a yeah. certain way. Whereas this, the the you know, a movie like this is pure speculation. And, you know, one thing I do remember about the movie. That is the scene where he goes out into the street and it turns out it's all like a set, a constructed set. Mm-hmm. And I do think about that in relate in relation to everything you're talking about in terms of the the stuff you're reading off about how much of it is edited versus real. You yeah. Know, what if it's all just a huge veil? Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I've heard from a couple of North Korean dissidents who have written about sort of, or dissidents, even the wrong term, people who fled North Korea. Um, who took offense uh, to the interview in a way that uh, I don't think I've heard about them doing to Team America. And I think part of that might be that kind of the, in addition to sort of like, like it's one thing to lampoon a dictator um, and it's another thing to kind of lampoon the idea of a revolution against a dictator and put uh, a couple of white guys from Hollywood at the center of that revolution. Um, So I think that was something also that like some people who, some North Koreans or former North Korean, I don't know like what terminology would be best to use, but some people who grew up in North Korea and had to leave because of the terrible government in that country, reasons why they too were offended with the interview, you know, even though they have no no issue with wanting to fantasize about Kim Jong Un being blown up in a helicopter or whatever, right, right, um, yeah. And yet, I bet, I like I said, it, and we obviously talked about this way back at the beginning of part one, which was that, like, I bet this this guy watches uh, whatever is out, you know, whatever the big stuff, be it MCU stuff or first reformed or any you know whatever movie yeah I, I bet he takes all of that in with much more of an open mind I I, I would argue that that it, it's like because you were saying earlier the consumption of Western art and yeah and all of that he, he must he must just have a huge pile of just stuff he streams day in and day well out. and it's that's like a one of the longest running dictator tropes because Stalin loved cowboy movies um and and Adolf Hitler loved American movies and like one of the things that's like you know in terms of like another movie that we that an American comedy star made about a dictator Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator yeah. um was very controversial at its time it kind of ended Chaplin's career or was a big factor in Chaplin's career collapsing he had to fund it himself yep and um we know Hitler watched it twice <laughs> 
We don't know what he thought about it, but we know he saw it twice. Um, so I would be very interested if... I, I, I almost want to know more what Kim Jong-un felt about Team America World Police um, than I want to know how he felt about the interview, just because I feel like Team America has more artistic merit to it. And I wonder if if even he could lose himself in sort of like, oh, well, this is some really cool puppets. This is like a neat, they're doing something interesting. Yeah, here. I would, I would, that that's a really good point. Because again, I think part of that is that there are so many um, other people that get targeted in that movie and in, in, in terms of what they go yeah. after and what they're commenting on that I, I wonder if he does look at it as like the same way a celebrity attends their own roast. Yeah. So Kim Jong Un, if uh, if you listen to Behind the Bastards, yes. uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you think about uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker depicting your dad as a singing puppet. At, uh, at Eli Olsberg, let me know. I'll yeah, forward it if, yeah. if you <laughs> whatever your interest. Yeah, he's on he's on Twitter, right? Yeah, <laughs> Kim Jong Un. Yeah, he's a big Twitter guy. <laughs> so um, yeah, the uh, what I do think the interview is illustrative of and a lot of coverage of Kim Jong-un is illustrative of is just sort of how consistently underestimated he's been um, by a lot of world media. Uh, He was famously declared Little Rocket Man by our president. Uh, A New Yorker cover on January 18th, 2016 showed him as a fat baby playing with toy nuclear weapons and tanks. Um, Especially early on in his reign, he was depicted as like this idiot fat child who had inherited an arsenal and didn't really know what to do with the power in his hands. Um, And I think that time has proven all of those takes very wrong. Absolutely. Um, I was just thinking, as you're telling me all these things, I'm like, man, every person involved in that, I bet on that day got a real fucking pat on the back. And now looking back at it, it's obviously it's a, a sign of the times, but it's still like, holy shit. Not only were they off, but they were, Way yeah. Off. Yeah. Kim Jong-un has carried out four of his nation's six nuclear tests, including the largest in September 2017, where they detonated a 100 to 150 kiloton warhead, roughly 10 times the size of the bomb we dropped on Hiroshima. Uh, he has tested 90 ballistic missiles, three times as many as his father and grandfather combined. Under his leadership, North Korea's arsenal has expanded to between 20 and 60 nuclear weapons. His scientists have built ICBMs that can theoretically reach the continental United States. CIA analysts consider North Korea now to be the hardest of hard targets, and much of that is due to Kim Jong-un's incredibly successful military policies. Uh, According to the great successor, quote, Nuclear weapons and missiles have been built into lessons at school, with little children taught to have pride in the programs and older ones taught about the physics involved. An elementary school socialist ethics textbook published in 2013 shows a man, a boy, and a picture of an Unha 3 rocket. Is it true that you gave joy to the respected leader? The child is asking his father, who appears to be an engineer. Kim Jong-un has lavished praise and luxuries on scientists of all stripes since he became the state's leader. Boundless is Kim Jong-un's loving care for the scientists and technicians who have played a big role in improving the people's livelihood and beefing up the defense capabilities. State media reported when the great successor visited Kim Chaik University of Technology, the MIT of North Korea, in 2013. One of the most surprising images of Kim Jong-un's tenure that did not involve Dennis Rodman came after the ground test for a new rocket engine in March 2017. The respected marshal in brown overcoat and with a broad smile gave a piggyback ride to one of the key men involved in the project. The clearly anguished rocket scientist, who is decades his senior, bounced around on Kim's back as other officers, all decked out in olive green military uniforms, laughed and cheered. 
I, yeah. I always, the Dennis Rodman thing, uh, like I remember it and then I forget about it and then I remember it again and every single time I hear it, I literally chuckle to myself. Yeah, yeah, that that's in the mix here too. Um, I love thinking about him giving rocket scientists piggyback, piggyback rides, rides, which is, yeah. uh, like it, it has its root in like Korean wedding ceremonies. Like the groom is supposed to like put his bride on her back and carry him around. So he's like, Almost like symbolizing his marriage to nuclear weaponry, like yeah. the marriage of the to- regime to nuclear weaponry. Yeah, yeah. totally. Where he, he he's like, <laughs> and that ultimately serves yeah. as like a thing where he's like, he's like, look at what a fun guy we can be with with my nuclear family. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so weird. Now, under Kim Jong-un, the North Korean economy has also improved markedly, reaching estimated growth of 4 to 5% per year, which is low for the region, but substantially better than the country enjoyed for virtually all of his father's tenure. Much of this is because of reforms that Kim Jong-un instituted, allowing rudimentary markets to form, or to be more accurate, allowing the rudimentary markets that had formed already to not be wiped out by state power. According to Andrei Lenkov, a Russian-North Korea expert, he decided to do what his father was deadly afraid of doing. He allowed farmers to keep part of the harvest. Farmers are not working now as essentially slaves on a plantation. Technically, the field is still state property, but as a farming family, you can register yourself as a production team, and you will be working on the same field for a few years in a row. You keep 30% of the harvest for yourself, and this year, according to the first unconfirmed reports, it will be between 40 and 60% that will go to the farmers. So they are not slaves anymore. They are sharecroppers. Wow. So, yeah, he's uh, it, it, like he's he's been involved in consistent reforms, and they seem to have been pretty successful. I was going to say um, this is a results oriented. What, what's weird yeah. is that with with you know when you look at like the the U.S. economy and 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 other economies, it's obviously a combination of of who's in office at that time, and then part of it is is cycles, obviously, and and some of them inherit the bad, while others get to inherit the good and call it their own. Uh, yeah, that doesn't seem to be the case here because the family's like the through line. So whatever they're doing seems like they can um, they can really not only brag about it, but in a way that almost th- th- can't come under scrutiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That may be the case, um, and it's of course made easier by the fact that they have so much control that too yeah, over outside. Course. But also, that's probably why he's had to open things up somewhat. Is that over the last decade, North Korea has become a lot less closed. They they've like because it like the regime wasn't able to stop much smuggling. Like people have been getting in DVDs and whatnot. They watch yeah. South Korean soap operas. They watch American movies. They've become aware of how the rest of the world lives, and so they really kind of like. I think Kim Jong Un had to knew that he had to open things up to allow them to gain some of the luxuries that they knew were out there because the information the world just wasn't as closed anymore. I wonder how much um, of the, uh, how much of China he uses as a reference point for that because you know they allow art in but it's very specific yeah, what goes in yeah. and what goes out and and how much of it is you know can be edited versus you know obviously with China it's different cuz they also have a they now there's funding coming from there but mm-hmm. uh, for for certain movies but and we're keeping box office in mind for them though. But I wonder yeah. how much of that benefits North Korea as well. Not in terms of being in bed with China, but what I mean is like how much of that is mimicked. Yeah, and I I, I couldn't tell you that, but it does seem that the evidence suggests things are a lot better in North Korea for average people than they were ten fifteen years yeah. ago. Wow. Um, uh, which I isn't found... that long ago. 
not that long ago. I I found a Vanity Fair, a quote in a Vanity Fair article I came across from Brian Myers, who's a professor at South Korea's Dongso University. Uh, He has defectors from the North visit his class and has been doing this for years um, to talk to his students. But in recent years, you know, previously when he'd have defectors in, they would talk about the unspeakable privation in North Korea when they fled and how rough it was and how, how many people were starving. But over the last few years, the newer refugees who have fled have been more likely to describe the company as, and these are Brian's words, a cool place um, where they would have liked to remain if they hadn't been forced out for one reason or another, usually due to government repression. But like they described life as reasonably nice in the place where they came from and like were more regretful of having had to leave. Um, So yeah, that's one data point at least. Um, Now, speaking of data points, Eli, uh, this is another ad pivot, um, which I am just, I am just not on the fucking ball with the ad pivots today. Um, I don't know. I are... mean, ads, ads are generated by data. Yeah, that that's true. And data, data is how they, how they sell, how they hawk the stuff. So, I, so I don't know. I think it was a good segue. Yeah. Well, contribute your data to these product producers and let's all contribute to the glorious cycle uh that allows our uh our great leader uh which is the almighty dollar to uh i don't know where this was going products (laughs) the evidence keeps pouring in at this point the facts are undeniable it's an open and shut case monopoly go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. 
You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. We're back. Uh, moving fast so that nobody notices how bad that last ad plug was. So, uh, pro uh, Kim Jong Un propaganda has continued to be outwardly ludicrous during uh, the later year or the more recent years of his reign. In 2015, the Telegraph published an article about a manual that had leaked out of North from North Korean teachers, ordering them to inform students that their new leader had some spectacular talents. "Quote." North Korean children are being taught that Mr. Kim is a skilled artist and a composer of musical scores. While he was able to drive when he was three, Mr. Kim is also apparently a natural sailor. At the age of nine, Kim Jong-un raced the chief executive of a foreign yacht company who was visiting North Korea at the time, the books claim, adding that he overcame the odds to claim victory. So this is the second rumor we've come across of him being really good at racing yachts as a little kid. And it's also, it's interesting the stuff that it's important because you see the repetition in the different types of propaganda. He really wants people to believe he can race yachts and has been doing so for a long time and that he was driving as a toddler. Right, yeah, That's important. And I feel like the only one missing is that he, he flew like a Harrier jet in, you know what I mean? Like some. Well, it, he actually is a pilot. He has a pilot's license, uh, so he does fly things. Yeah, like like that's actually seems to be real. Like he does fly planes and stuff. Um, wow. But he doesn't. He doesn't lie about having flown a plane as a kid that I found. But he lies about piloting a yacht for some reason. Which, like, flying a plane is impressive. Mm-hmm. That's a cool thing. If our presidents, and if if we had a president who could fly a plane. That would be a thing they'd brag about. Of course, they always Bush say, bragged about it. Yeah, exactly. I was just gonna say that, yeah. that was like one of Bush's yeah. few things where people were like, "Oh yeah, well yeah." He, I mean, he did it, so he could I, he could fly that plane. Yeah, yeah, that ain't nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that's just so weird to me, and I don't know. I don't know if he, like I don't even know how much. I, one of the things I'd be really interested to learn is how much input he actually has. Like clearly, if he wanted the propaganda to stop, he could. But like, sure. does he approve it all, or does he just? trust his propaganda people to put out whatever and they have kind of done like focus testing to be like the people are really soothed when they hear about him driving a yacht at age three. Oh, that's like a good, that's a good <laughs> like, question what, I, where does this shit come from yeah, yeah i think well i don't yeah i don't think he dreams it up i i, yeah. I can i can tell you uh, that's where trump serves as a reference point because this is a guy who literally will just on the fly say something that is a complete crock of shit and about whatever you know, he, I'm sure at some point let's let's put it in his. If he was like, yeah, you know, I um I, I I flew a plane and then when I got off the plane, I landed on a ship that I actually steered back to home. We'd all be like, what a fucking liar! Yeah. And since he has people doing it for him, I do think there's an approval process. That would be my guess. If it wasn't coming from people and he was just doing it like talking about it on a podium in that same way, like pontificating in this way, then I would say. He's obviously not consulting a team, but I think I think he has some say in it somehow. He has to. Yeah, and that must mean that it is really important to him that people believe he was driving a, a truck at age three. Yeah, because otherwise, if he had people just doing it without any kind of say in it, like those those people who are making this up, they're they're one they're playing without a net, and they're also putting themselves at a risk for being killed. Because if they say something that makes them look bad. He's gonna he's gonna have him killed, and this is what's so interesting to me about trying to psychoanalyze this guy from afar and with as little information as we really have about him, is you get these 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 sna- snippets of his personality 
like you see the the result of his actual policies, which is pretty cold-blooded and effective. He's been a very effective dictator. Yeah. And most of the sober analysis I've read about him recently, people say he he does he doesn't seem to be crazy. He seems to have a pretty reasonable understanding of the geopolitical situation. Uh, he's been very smart with his gambles, and they've mostly paid off for him. But you also get these hints that he there are chunks of him that never grew up that are still childish. Like this desire as a kid, like this lying about driving a truck at age three is like the kind of lie a seven-year-old would tell in kindergarten. Right. Um, I, I think that goes back to the mythology thing that the family has as yeah. a through line. Um, and and uh, I think if he were to X all that out, it would um, it would almost be like writing off the nonsense of, of past. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like there's this thing there that I think he, that'll always be there. But I'm I'm sure there's like a soft rollout of lessening it, maybe. Yeah, it, it yeah, it's it's really hard to say. Like it it yeah, it's it's definitely it definitely. I'll say it's it's less ridiculous than the stuff you were hearing about his dad. So yeah, maybe yeah. it has gotten milder. But there are like, in terms of like just trying to figure out what this guy is like personally. Um, one of the other data points we have is the 2013 trip uh, that Dennis Rodman, uh, former Chicago Bulls star and uh, actor in uh, the perfect movie The Minis, which uh, you should really see if you haven't seen and The Minis. And just to tie it all together uh, with this podcast, in double team with Jean-Claude Van Damme. In double team with Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's damn right. Van Damme right, as a matter of fact. Um, so yeah, Rodman in 2013 traveled to North Korea with vice producer Jason Mohika and a camera crew, all of whom apparently got shit-faced with, uh, Kim Jong-un after, like, a series of, uh, a big public press events. Now, unfortunately, there's not video footage of all of this, because at a certain point they weren't allowed to have their cameras on. But The Great Successor has a pretty good write-up of what happened when things went off the rails, and it paints... I don't know, it adds a little bit of extra depth to our picture of Kim Jong-un. So I'm going to read that uh, excerpt now. Uh, Mohika, who's the, the vice editor, feeling emboldened by the shoju, which is like, a, a, like a, a type of liquor in that part of the world, kind of vaguely analogous to like schnapps maybe, uh, invited Kim Jong-un to make the return journey to New York. He then raised his glass, a tumbler of Johnny Walker Black that the waiters had been filling throughout the night as if it were wine, and took a sip. All of a sudden, the young dictator was yelling and gesturing at him. For a second, Mohika wondered if he'd committed a, br- a grave error. Then the translator kicked in with a bottoms up. It was a command performance, Mohika told me. The evil dictator was demanding that I chug my drink, so I chugged my drink. He was woozy, but he still had the mic. He slurred, if things carry on this way, I'll be naked by the end of the night. Madame Cho had a look of complete disgust on her face, but as the translator, she relayed the mark to Kim Jong-un, who broke out into laughter. The shoju was working. Kim's face grew progressively ruddier, and his smile grew broader, revealing the discolored teeth of a heavy smoker. Mohika estimated that the great successor had at least a dozen shots of shoju. Everyone was, in the vice producer's words, wasted. At one point, the globetrotters were on stage, hand in hand with the Morangbong band members. Later, Rodman had the microphone and was singing My Way, while Bartholomew played the saxophone, leaning back with his eyes closed like he was channeling Kenny G. Rodman sent his sidekick over to Mohika to tell him to tone down their raucous behavior. That's when Mohika realized how out of hand things had become. You know it's wild when an internationally notorious bad boy is telling you to cool it. Everything else is hazy. If I was being my best journalist, I would have stayed sober and committed everything to memory, said Mohika. But we all got really caught up in the spirit of the evening. After several hours, Kim Jong stood up to give the final toast. He said that the event had helped promote understanding between the peoples of the two countries. So he's this guy who's capable of kind of deftly navigating 
the takeover of power from his father and like the continuance of a, an unprecedented like chain of succession within a communist country and also the kind of guy who is going to get wasted with Dennis Rodman when he <laughs> comes in and like 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 uh, clearly like aspects of him that didn't grow up and aspects of him that are very cunning but like you get this like these flashes that he still has this like lack of impulse control in some ways that oh, his dad did totally yeah. and and again yeah. I, and i hate to keep chalking it up to that but that's age right there i mean this guy yeah. didn't get to um you know i mean look at the end of the day i i do think even people of whatever stature anybody who like comes from that type of privilege is gonna wanna just fucking party like yeah you know and it's like the one thing people at that level can't do which to be clear is a champagne problem, they can't just be normal fucking people. They can't just go out and party and be seen partying and be seen being in any way, shape, or form sloppy drunk, even buzzed. Yeah. And um, it's, it's just interesting to me that that same guy is capable of the discipline and planning that was necessary to, uh, I mean, he really came off as the winner in the the nuclear summit with our president, where... He didn't give up anything. We didn't get up end up getting a single real concession from North Korea in that. No. And he got the thing that every generation of North Korean leader before him had failed to get, which was a direct meeting with the United States president, um, which is the kind of legitimacy that the North Korean regime has always wanted. And I think from like their point of view, like if you're wondering like why they're so like, – like in terms of like why they're so married to their nukes, like number one – they see what happens to Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi, who like give up their nuclear programs yeah. and get murdered uh, yeah. as a result of it. And they also see like if you have nukes, you can get an American president to the table with you, and that brings you a kind of legitimacy that nothing else does. Yeah. Um, and you know, it was not Kim Il Sung who managed that. It was not Kim Jong Il who managed that. It was Kim Jong Un, the little rocket man, the kid that like everybody made fun of when he took power. Yeah. Um, which is, I don't know, that's really interesting to me. Like, I, he comes across as maybe the most uh, adept of his family. And which so, like, when really it comes, says yeah. something because this is the period, I think, in in terms of all the cultural shifts we've had in the past since, since that family first took hold, this is the one where um, – and I'm talking about on a global level for everybody in terms of any kind of career, anything you're doing. This is the period I feel like things are the most in free fall and it's the hardest to adapt to things because you don't know yeah. what, what's going to be the, the thing or what's the right way to go about it. And yet it does make you wonder, like in that talking about gambling before, if, if it's just him rolling the dice every time or if it's him with a specific instinct for this shit. Like what is it? Because a lot of other people – in so many different ways have failed in terms of careers, in terms of all these other things because of the, the paradigm shift of the last like 10 to 15 years has been so severe. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And it, it really has. And if, if nothing else, like the message that you get from Kim Jong-un's story is like, if you're going to be a dictator, you better have a couple of fucking nukes in your pocket. Yeah. Because, like, that really smooths out your ability to handle the travails of uh, of the world it as does. it rolls along. Oh, yeah. totally. And it, and it is – and I guess in talking about all this stuff where we're, we're saying we're like, well, the past few years he's managed to adapt to these things, that obviously is the big 
you know, the key, the secret. Yeah. And he's, you know, as the years have gone on, there have been other things we can tell about him. You know, from pictures, we know that he's gotten more and more uh, obese, shall we say. Yep. In 2014, he was out of commission for six weeks. And when he came back into the public eye, he was wearing a walking stick. The rumors that circulated widely in the news were that his addiction to rich Swiss Emmental cheese had made him so fat that his ankles had collapsed. Uh, more realistic and sober appraisals of things suggest that he probably just got gout, better known as Paul Manafort's disease. Um, so at kind of the end of this, the picture that we're left with of Kim Jong-un is a cunning, brutal, and sometimes brilliant, generally balanced, insane dictator who knows how to sort of weigh practical repression of his people um, with enough freedom to maintain power and give them a sense of improvement and hope for the future. Um, But he's also a guy of strong appetites and little self-control when it comes to desires of the flesh. And I can't claim to know the man, but based on my reading, the most compelling picture I think I found of his personality was written out in a Vanity Fair article by Mark Bowden. Uh, Mark notes, at age five, we are all the center of the universe. Everything, our family, parents, home, neighborhood, school, country, revolves around us. For most people, what follows is a long process of dethronement, as His Majesty the Child confronts the ever more obvious and humbling truth. Not so for Kim. His world at age five has turned out to be his world at age 30, or very, very nearly so. Everyone does exist to serve him. The known world really is configured with him at his center. The most senior men in his kingdom have power because he wills it, and they smile and bow and scribble notes and moss and little notebooks whenever he dines to speak. Not only is he the one and only Kim Jong-un, he's officially the only person who can carry the given name Jong-un. All other North Koreans with that name have had to change it. Multitudes stand and cheer for the merest glimpse of him. Men and women and children weep for joy when he smiles and waves. So. Wow. Yeah. That's what I got. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's nothing more to, like, it it is a thing where, I I, I mean, I don't know, it's that, it's, what I've been thinking about a lot, actually, for this entire coverage of all of this has been, um, you know, a lot of people talk about nature versus nurture. This is pure nurture. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, this guy has – it doesn't matter what nature, whatever he's chemically bound to, whatever. It is pure nurture, I think, that has shaped him through and through. Yeah, it, if this kid hadn't been the son of a dictator – he would have been that kid that you like played PlayStation sports games with and like threw the controller across the room when he lost. Yes. And then as he grew up, he either would have like become an incel and joined the alt right, uh, or he would have like gotten some sense smacked into him somewhere along the line and like grown up as a human being and like become a functioning member of society. Or become but, one of those tech dudes, like a merc- yeah. even a merciless version of, well, a lot of those guys are merciless and he's, he's I, I, yeah. would, I would argue he would probably become an app developer that would shift everything for the better for his pockets and the worse for everyone else. Yeah. If he wound up having that kind of, he is pretty mechanically inclined. So maybe, but you know, he's, um, I think one of the things that ought to be clear to everybody at this point after seeing how he's taken advantage of the Trump years is that he was made fun of pretty much roundly when he first came to power, but he's proven himself to be one of the most able people in global politics, Yep. Um, which is frustrating. Yeah. And it's like not a fun note to end these. It's way more fun when we can end them on like the, the you know, dying from self-indulgence or being killed by their people or whatever. Sure. But like... He's in power, and he'll probably be in power for decades. He's only—he's yeah. not even forty yet. Like, yeah. 
Well, if it if whenever his reign ends, if the pod, if the pod's still going, if climate mm-hmm. change hasn't rendered a podcast uh, obsolete, we should talk about it again. <laughs> yeah, we we can re- we can finish his story either in a podcast yeah. or in what I'm sure will be the the method of communication of the future, which is uh, shouting into conch shells yes. uh, from underneath dead power lines, uh, like the, like that, the troubadours used to do. Yeah, like the troubadours of old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Eli, you got some pluggables to plug. Yes, please, at Eli Olsberg on all the socials, and uh, you can listen to Closure, the podcast that never ends on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and we talk about, uh, I just interview people in regards to certain events or situations in their lives or anything they want to talk about, and if they found closure in it, much like we haven't found closure in the story. Uh, and yeah, uh, you could also listen to Pod as a Woman, which I co-host with Teresa Lee, and uh, we uh, do track-by-track breakdowns of Ariana Grande songs and whether our guests like them or not and lastly if you're in la please come to performance anxiety at the pleasure chest second tuesday of every month check out performance anxiety at the treasure chest uh check out eli's uh treasure pleasure chest pleasure chest pleasure chest oh that's a way better name than treasure chest (laughs) uh check out eli's podcasts um and uh you know uh check out this podcast online at behindthebastards.com find us on twitter at instagram and at bastards pod um this is the episode that everybody wanted me to do and uh i'm sorry that it ends with no closure and that it's not nearly as funny as as you were all hoping for but this is the the best information i could bring you on the kim so be careful what you fucking ask for because sometimes it's just a bummer um that's the episode buy a t-shirt on tpublic.com we're we're done go uh go build your own nukes it's the only way to be safe Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. 
Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.